Hey everybody, it's Jim Mallard here. Welcome to the Mallard Report. The Mallard Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things. Robert Clotworthy. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcast, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. Well, welcome everybody in. I hope I hope it's warmer where you are than where we are. My guest tonight's from Western Pennsylvania, so we're. Oh, well, you probably didn't have snow down there today, did you? Oh yeah. Okay, so because you know, middle of April snow is always the best snow. Yep, two-inch big all flakes, <laughs> thinking they belong here. Well, I seen a joke on Facebook this morning that made me laugh. It's um, February snow that with the supply chain issues just got here. Ah, that makes sense. So explains the whole problem. Yeah, doesn't it, though? Okay, anyways, my guest tonight is Crystal McFadden. She is, well, I'll let her tell you who she is. She's got a podcast and does some public speaking and all sorts of other fun things. So go ahead and clear your bio up for my my listeners who aren't looking at it right at the moment. Absolutely. Hey, hey, everyone. My name is Crystal McFadden. I'm owner of Crystal Conversations, LLC. Essentially, I'm a resiliency communicator. I want you to own the value of your journey. And I do that through speaking events, writing copy, and of course, hosting my own podcast, the Crystal Conversations Resilience Podcast. Yay! I'm glad That's you, it! That's I'm, me! I'm glad you started the podcast, by the way. <laughs> I, I, you seemed a little skeptical when we talked about it, whenever that was. Yeah, I was not sure that as I was getting started, it wasn't something that was on my radar, but what I really was drawn to is I am so fascinated by how everyone got to where they are when they, when they're sitting in front of me that I know they learned something I don't know. And I want to know that I want your wisdom. I want your stories. Well, welcome aboard. See now you understand why I do mine. Yep. <laughs> so what, what, okay. So take me back. What got you to the point where you are today? I mean, because you were talking about doing some counseling and some other things, but obviously a, a general interest in helping other humans. But where did where did that all come from? Honestly, there was just this fight within me. I grew up in small town Western Pennsylvania, and the only goal I had was to get the heck out of Pennsylvania. And so, <laughs> I joined the military and decided my next goal was to live in Hawaii. And as everyone giggled at me, I was like. All right, well, let's see. So I went to boot camp in Illinois, school in Florida, and hey, hey, my first duty station was Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. And one morning I woke up in my barracks room and was like, I'm going to be a professional speaker. I had never heard of this term. I had no <laughs> idea where it came from. I had, I thought I had lost my mind. <laughs> I'm like, what does this even mean? I'm in Navy intelligence. I'm a... I'm a secret squirrel for all intensive purposes. <laughs> I work in a basement. I lock my phone in my car. Like what is a professional speaker and how do I get there from here? And so I got out and started going to college in Washington state, met some, met some speaking mentors and they're like, what's your topic? I'm like, I don't know how to get from where you were to where you want to go. Like, I just want to get the heck out of where I was. I wanted to grow but I didn't realize there was a system of gaining this wisdom, gaining this knowledge. And so I started communication school in Washington. I ended up in California um, with a speaking mentor, amazing speaker, Kevin Bracey. He does a lot of work with youth in California and his mentor was Les Brown. So, you know, he's dynamic. He's so much cooler than I am. <laughs> and I had to find this middle ground of like, what, what am I trying to say? And what I had learned was my butt was going to get real sick for an entire decade. I was going to grow up and mature faster and in ways I didn't want to. And in that process, I was like, well, if I'm going to be this sick, 
I need to make enough money in an hour to cover the time I can't work a normal full-time job. So I might as well be a counselor because we know social workers make tons of money. (laughs) And, And in that process, I really figured out that there was value in the journey that each person had. And as we all figured our way through this thing called life in this broken world we live, we are, we are trying to find peace with our past. But what we don't hone in on is what value those experiences bring that make us special in our today. And so as we're talking in 2022, there are things you've gone through in your life that make you special, that give you that special sauce to do what you do. And no one else can compete with that. So this idea of imposter syndrome and not being heard and seen and crying out for attention, like none of that's necessary. We can have peace with who we are and where we're going because we're the only us. We were created uniquely for a purpose. And the whole me versus you thing is irrelevant. Let's lock arms and run forward. Yeah, that's one of the things that always, I don't know, it surprises well, back to the podcast thing. Like, of course I'm an open book about that because I don't compete with anybody else except myself on that front. Like, I want this week to be better than last week than two weeks ago. Like, I want to... And it never really is. I mean, it always ebbs and flows and all this other stuff. But it's the bad, you know, every, everything turns into a competition, right? Internally. I'm sure you found that. <laughs> yeah, there's there's just areas that I want to serve well. And so I think that's where the, the drive to get better is, is if I learn something new, if I approach this more effectively, if I can creatively hit this from a different angle – or target a topic with a guest that maybe no one else has, it adds value to their spotlight. It adds value to their finding words to a story they haven't told before. And and pulling them out of that and saying, like, look at all this. You are more than this one message you continue to deliver. Like, stop following the sales scripts. Get out there and be real. Yeah, that's the hard part, getting people out of those sales scripts sometimes and getting them getting them to be the authentic you that they, they are and they're more dynamic and they sell more books when they tell their honest story than hitting the, hitting their notes. But anyways, so, okay. So you're out California, you're working with your mentor, mentor. I'm still missing a few steps in here. Okay. So <laughs> I'm working with my mentor and I, I have this idea in my head, I'm going to be speaking and my body has a very different idea. And so I end up getting really sick. My autoimmune disease kicks in and the place I never wanted to come back to Pittsburgh is where I came crawling back to. And I ended up living back home with my parents after serving in the military, after living all these places, here I come young 20 something back to my parents' house. And I'm like, this is the worst. (laughs) How did I get here? And really had to find a balance between okay, so I have a new normal now. My body doesn't want to do what it used to. I was very healthy. All of my psych tests, all of my physical tests in the military, everything was on point. I was getting awards. I was promoting quickly. And the minute I got out, my body had other plans. And realistically, the way I see it is God had other plans because there was so much I needed to learn about his design for my life the, the way and ability to just break my own pride and learn to love other people and, and find a place in my own walk where I am simply here as a gift because I know what it feels like laying in that hospital bed, spending time in the ICU rooms. You know, my husband, like we've had many a hospital dates, him beside my hospital bed, just being like, well, here we are again. One of those overnight stays. Gee, this is fun. And, and it was a decade of hanging on to God saying, I don't know why I'm still here. I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. And if I do, what on earth am I going to do? Because right now I feel helpless. I feel stuck. I want to, I want to be in control. I want to be comfortable. I want to have a say about what I do and how far I can go. And I felt like all that was taken away from me in my entire twenties. And so finally, at when I turned 30, 
which is now, goodness, almost 10 years ago, I went into the emergency room and it was like, all right, I'm tired of fighting. And I just had this peace in my heart where God was like, it's time. And so I had a surgery to remove an organ so that my body supposedly, because we know how surgeons love to make promises, supposedly would, uh, would get better. Um, I almost died during that surgery. Yay for adventures. Um, <laughs> but it definitely taught me. And then after that, I actually came across some gut health supplements that target your immune system health. And between the surgery and that, they really started working in tandem with one another to give me my life back. And so over the last eight years, I have been targeting not only what it was like to get my body stronger, but take a look back at all the trauma that ensued from having such a severe flare of an autoimmune disease and how that affected my finances, my social relationships, my faith walk, um, the, my work life, just figuring out when a major event happens, whether it's short-term like an earthquake or whether it's long-term like a chronic health struggle, how does that impact your life? And then how do you develop the coping skills to navigate that kind of stress that really isn't going away? And quite honestly, I feel like the whole world's figuring that out with the pandemic is, oh crap, this stress isn't going away my normal self-care regimen isn't working. <laughs> what do I do? And I'm like, hey, hey, I've spent about 12 years doing this. I know chronic health, chronic stress navigation. This is my jam. <laughs> Let's talk about bouncing back. Let's talk about pivoting. Let's talk about cognitive flexibility. I want you to find the answers that fit. And so really what I had seen so long as a setback was really this beautiful opportunity to hone in on my studies as a licensed counselor, that desire to tell stories and inspire and encourage others, but also turn it into an opportunity to equip others to be like, you know what, this isn't comfortable and this feels really hard and unfamiliar, but you know what, your journey has equipped you for such a time as this. So we'll get back to the, the stress. That was a question that Germantown Runner wanted me to ask you. But I want to ask you a very overly simple question at this moment because I like asking simple questions that have hard answers. Okay. <laughs> so you, you've got all this logjam of stuff going on, but yet you still want to want to counsel people. I mean, it feels like you're stuck in the mud yourself. How do you uh, gin up enough energy to listen to other people's problems when you have all these other problems going on yourself? Because there's a reframe that happens when it's not so much a problem that it's an opportunity to learn. Every time a challenge presents itself, whether it's a traffic jam I didn't expect and I'm supposed to be somewhere, whether it's an unexpected health issue, whether it's some random person who can't regulate their own emotions and are having a tantrum, what I've learned is every single time I encounter one of those things, it's an opportunity for me to find out why that is so meaningful. Why is this difficult? What can I learn? How can I see this? And that reframe of saying, this is an opportunity to expand my knowledge, my emotional bandwidth, my empathy levels, my compassion for someone else to love them where they are or to love myself where I'm at. When I can take all of those seemingly insurmountable problems and turn those into opportunities to own the value of my own journey, it gives me that freedom to sit in somebody else's space, navigate through their lens what it is that they're going through, and begin to extract that value and say, look, do you remember when you went through this? It felt hard, but did you see this? Did you know that this could be so powerful if you used it like this. And the moments it's like that light bulb goes off and their chin drops and they're like, I have never thought of it like that. That is just that high that you can't get enough of. That's, that's great stuff. Okay. So 
Hey, let's do this before I forget, because I know we're going to start down some serious stuff here, and I'll forget. Uh, give me your website and where people can find the podcast and all that stuff, because I want to make sure we get that out there for you, because that's important. Absolutely. So easy peasy. My name is Crystal McFadden, Crystal spelled like the stone, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, McFadden, M-C-F-A-D-D-E-N.com. And then the podcast, it's the Crystal Conversations Resilience Podcast, but the easiest way is anchor.fm forward slash crystal hyphen McFadden. And it's all linked. If you find me on LinkedIn, if you find me on Instagram, if you go to those social channels and you're like, who is this girl? You'll find the link to the podcast. <laughs> of course you will. That, I mean, that's the great thing about podcasting where you, once you find it, you got it and it can, you can find it anywhere. Yes. And it sticks around. It's like, as your computer and your phone stalk you, it's like, Hey, do you remember looking for this? You should remember this. And I'm like, thank you. I appreciate your stalking ability this one time. Yeah. <laughs> this one time it's, it's semi helpful. Yeah. It's other, a other little time. less creepy and beneficial for me. Uh, other times. Do you still want to buy this? No, I didn't buy it the first time and I'm yeah. not buying it. <laughs> but what if it's in this color? <laughs> you never know. That might, yeah. might do it. Uh, okay. So, Let's let's fast forward to a little bit more modern. You kind of started this whole thing out on your own here. So what made you want to branch out that far, and so to speak? I realized that there was a uniqueness that was different than giving therapy, just regular clinical hours. And it was different than talent and workforce development. There was this beautiful ground of small group settings, team-focused environments where I could say, you know what, we can get a lot of work done in a short amount of time, whether it's a 90-minute workshop series with a team or whether it's a three-month coaching unfolding with a very small group. There was something about the power of they don't need therapy. Maybe they're not working through trauma, but they're ready for that coaching element. And, And what I found is because one-to-one sessions can be so powerful, I don't want the weight purely on me because then the illusion is I got it all together. The illusion is I've got something special that you don't. And I want to teach that I'm simply the encourager of what's already within you. Whatever value your journey has equipped you for, I'm simply teaching you to to pull that out and use it. And in small group settings, not only do you get to have that self-reflection, but you also get to learn to communicate that to others. And oftentimes you find that one or two people that really get you and you connect with and you're like, hey, we're going to talk offline. We're going to talk between groups. We're going to do a collaboration project together. And that what's, that's what gets me really excited because that's that discipleship model. Like, I just want to stir it up in you and equip you to go and then go out and do it. <laughs> well, that's the key, right? I mean, it's one thing to get somebody uh, excited for the home team, but it's another to get them out of their seat and doing something. Yes. Which is a bad, which I've seen too much of, you know, get, leaving everybody excited. And then anyways, okay, so I was just... Um, Scroll on your website because I, I, I thought I'd seen this and I want to make sure it was on yours before I loaded double down on this. <laughs> that'd be that'd be awkward. Um, no, but it was yours, so we're good. Because, um, you know, I normally talk a little bit paranormal spirituality around here, and that comes with, and I've seen this as one of your hot topics, so this is kind of one of these things that I want to get to with you, is the internal bias that we, well, I mean, we all have it, but especially in the paranormal world where we believe something is going on. Yeah. And it becomes really hard to get out of our own way at times because, yes, that was actually a raccoon in the attic, not uh, – <laughs> oops, did I say that? And the hate mail goes to Crystal in that conversation. <laughs> well, let's talk about that raccoon. We'll have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, that, that's all her. She gets all the hate mail for that comment. But it, it's, it's a fascinating point to me because I, I tried to – you know, that's a legitimate point in the paranormal that people get too stuck in their own stuff. So go ahead and where, – where are you at with all that? Not necessarily in my my field, but in general, you can brought it back and out. Absolutely. I am fully aware that my personal bias is I wholeheartedly know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And as someone who didn't grow up in the church 
um, that is like a really radical statement. It almost makes like, sometimes you get angry. Like, what do, what do you even mean by that? <laughs> and, and so I'm very aware of this sort of radical stance of saying that I'm working from a biblical worldview because growing up, not in the church, having sort of a spiritual outlook on life, like the universe and God. And like, it was really just a faith that something good will come. Like I was fairly optimistic that I, me, myself, and I could take on the world. And the funny thing was there was a lot of people who claimed to be Christian in my high school and as I was in the military. And I was extremely aggressive against that. Like if you came up to me and was like, hey, Crystal, I think you should come to church with me. Or I think maybe you should consider this this God thing. Like I was verbally aggressive. Like I would get physically rageful about like, get your faith and your God crap out of my face. And it was so extreme to the point where after um, I didn't actually accept Jesus as Lord until 2008. And so I was in my mid twenties. I had already been out of the military. I had crawled back home. I was very sick at that time. And uh, in the Christian circle, if you're not familiar, when you go to a Bible study, when someone invites you to church, it's like, it feels really special to the Christian bubble to like give you this tiny little Bible. It's like a $5 Bible. And they're like, here, this can be yours. And I kind of laughed because I'm like, I got a pink little Bible and everyone was super excited. And because I had this like desire to be a speaker one day, even though I was so ill, quotes were really a good thing for me. So I was like, well, sure, I'll listen to this, but I'm really looking for like the good meaty stuff, things I can use in a, in a talk. And I was looking through Proverbs because the book of Proverbs is like wisdom verses. So anyone who wants some like real hearty wisdom for life, you can go into the book of Proverbs, no matter who you are and what you believe. And the one ver- the one chapter says, the heart of a man plans his way and the Lord establishes his steps. And it was like that verse illuminated from the page and gave me a sucker punch to the mouth. And I was like, what just happened? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I couldn't even, I couldn't wrap my brain around this, this physical response to a written word in a book. It didn't, it didn't make sense. And so I started digging in deeper and figuring out what does this even mean? What, why, who is this God and why should I put my trust in him? And, and how does this story make sense? And, and I was just really, again, mad at this idea that this God would somehow, if he is a God, step down from a throne, come live a life as a human. I mean, what power do we have as opposed to a God? And then somehow give his life because I'm somehow less than or broken or in need of him. It was so stirring in me. I just, I had to keep looking. And the the thing that I found was like this idea that he created me with a purpose, that he uses these struggles in order to teach me, to draw me near to him, to have this dependence, this jealousy over my attention and my time and my energy, this love despite my mess and my brokenness. And being that sick, um, I was I was a mess. Like I I couldn't get it together. I knew I needed something, and sure as heck, this God was showing me a consistency that the world had never shown me. Like humans fall short. We're all a mess. Like I'm a hot mess express. I know that. And pretty much every human I've ever met has some shortcoming here or there. So this consistency was catching my attention. And then there was just this point that was like, you know what? I, I think this is for real. Like I really do think that I'm a mess that I need this God to, to, to fill in this gap, to fill this void, to show me this love that is clearly not on earth. And, and from that moment, it was like, I was less angry. I didn't have to, I didn't have to seek after anyone's attention. I was finally seen. 
I was finally heard. Like when I cried out in prayer, it wasn't that there were magical answers or that circumstances changed, but I didn't have to do it alone anymore. And, and so I started walking this journey, but I never forgot that this love and this hope that I carry with me every single day, that is so tangible. It is, it is spirit shaking to the folks that I work with, with, with the ability to sort of speak into really hard and heart wound places. I never forget what it was like on the other side, circling back to your bias is I remember what it was like to be so angry. I wanted to punch you in the face. If you told me I needed God, (laughs) I, I remember what it was like to feel like you are so off your lunatic rocker (laughs) that if you tell me I need Jesus one more time, (laughs) you're going to meet him. (laughs) Yeah. Like we're about to go down. And so like, I, I remember so fanatically being in love with Jesus now, but so aggressively hating him then and this, this transformation that has unfolded. So when I sit with someone, my awareness of sitting in both sides is such a gift because I never forget that it's not about what I believe. It's about loving and meeting someone right where they are because it's about their journey. It's not mine to tell them where to go. So let's, let's skip back for a minute because you cut, I don't want to say you glossed over this, but I want to drill down on it because it's interesting to me that for somebody to come midlife, because yeah. it, it seems like everybody grew up in the church and all that. So what, where was that pivot point? How did, who, who or how, or did you get convinced to go the first time? There. So when I came back home to Pittsburgh and I was living with my parents, my little brother was still in Pittsburgh and I was so sick because I had to come back home. He was actually, I had come home. Oh, big sister came home from the Navy. Now little brother was going off to the army. And in that transition, he had a group of friends that were regularly going to church that were going to the zoo. They were going camping. They were doing all these fun things. And as he departed, he was like, Hey, take care of my sister. Like, I'm about to go do my army thing and she's really sick. Like, can you just watch over her? And so he had a really healthy support group of people who loved him. And he was just like, Hey, like she's broken. She's down. Like, I don't know what to do with her, but I'm out of here. So here you go. And in, in the most loving way. And so these weird, nice people (laughs) kept inviting me to go do things with them, except Everything that they did was around these Bible studies planted throughout the week. So if they were going to go to the milkshake factory, it was after Bible study. (laughs) If they were going to go camping, it was with a Bible study there. If they were going to the zoo, it was before or after church or Bible study. And I was like, ugh, like, they're so nice to me. And I don't really have a support system having been gone for six years, I don't like, I don't want to just keep turning them down and I'm too sick to go out and make new friends that are sustainable, like fine. And so this consistent exposure to this, this lifestyle, this niceness, this loving me where I was at, it just was so different than anything I had ever experienced. And like I said, it just it made me kind of look with this skeptical furrowed brow lip curl. Like why, why are you people nice to me? <laughs> like what is wrong with you? Like I am sick. I am inconvenient. I am, I am not earning my spot in your friend group essentially is how I was thinking. Cause like we want to be good enough or we want to have our contribution. We want to be able to be the funny one or the smart one or the rich one or whatever category we sort of fit into. I couldn't, I couldn't hold my own and they just kept loving me. And I'm like, this is so weird. (laughs) And that was when I started looking for those quotes and sort of like toying with the idea that the way they were acting had some connection to the words they were reading in this book. And I'm like, 
All right. And when that when that proverb 16:9 socked me in the face, I was like, "Whew. All right. Y'all are too much. This is too much. Something's going on here." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, the other one you you talk about and I've noticed this is ramping up in the last few months because the world's big air quotes here, you ready? Returning to normal. I know, right? <laughs> for whatever that may be worth. I don't think anything's ever normal, but that's a whole other conversation for another day. Um, that's your specialty, the paranormal. <laughs> yeah, we can't have anything returning to normal. Uh, <laughs> the, the level of stress is going to increase. How how can people, um, uh, well, we'll use a, a bad term here, defuse that. <laughs> There's a pun in there, but we'll just leave that guy. <laughs> so... Again, I think you're absolutely correct. This lunacy of returning to normal, it's not like you can't return to normal. If one variable affects another one and it changes form, you don't get to go back to the original form. It's, it's not how it, it works. You may get close to, you may get similar to, you may be congruent to, but you're not going to get an identical replica because every piece of matter changes. Our own physical body changes. You have shed how many hairs, how many skin follicles, like excreted how much waste in the time it's taken to get from there to here. Like you're not the same human. So returning back to something that doesn't exist is lunacy. And it's almost, it's almost replicating that doing the same thing over and over is the definition of insanity. Returning back to the new normal is lunacy. The idea that we can really take the stress that we're feeling and say, this is the opportunity for me to take this assessment, a self-assessment, a relational assessment, an environmental assessment, and look around and see what's actually going on here. Not how have I always seen it, not the way we've always done it, not the way I think it should be, or if it only wouldn't have happened this way, it could be. No. Actual logistical, objective data. (laughs) How many times a week do we wear sweatpants now than we did before? Probably a whole heck of a lot more. (laughs) So there are things that have changed that in times of stress, we don't typically take account for. We simply react. We simply respond the best way we know how. We see that in all the hysteria that has unfolded over the last couple of years. But what we know is when things start to calm down, we start to gain more awareness. The panic part of our brain in the back starts to calm itself down. And the thinking part of our brain in the front starts to say, huh, I didn't really see that before. Well, because they don't talk to one another. Those two parts of the brain, although they live in the same community, they are not friends. They shut one another out when the other's talking. And so in order to navigate the stress, when we start to find ourselves looking around and trying to find clarity and meaning and what's next, the first thing to do is say, like, what's actually happening? Am I in a healthy space? Am I doing the things I want to do each day in terms of healthy rhythms? Getting outside, sitting up straight, brushing your teeth every day, wearing jeans rather than sweatpants at least once a week, (laughs) like attending your office meetings with pants on every once in a while, like whatever your thing is, are you where you'd like to be? What's actually happening? And then are there things that mean a lot to you that you've now learned about yourself? about where you'd like to go, about what you want to do or how you want to feel. Sometimes we're just tired. We're emotionally exhausted. We're, we're physically not at the healthiest place we want to be, or maybe we're at optimal health. Maybe our relationships aren't as encouraging or life-giving as we would like them to be. And we're looking around saying, you know what? Things could be different. That's when you start to lock arms 
with the people who are encouraging you and living in a manner that have those rhythms that you'd like to achieve that maybe know some of those things that you'd like to start implementing in your own life, or maybe have walked through a similar journey and somehow found their way out of that funk. My book is called rise from the wreckage and it's really finding yourself on the other side of that smoke plume and being like, what the heck just happened? And how long was I in there? You take that step to lock arms and then begin making those very manageable micro changes that are going to bring exponential benefit over the long term. So I want to follow it up with, a, well, we're going to, we're going to forget everybody for a minute because I like doing that around here. I'm going to ask you a kind of a question in my vernacular and you'll kind of figure it out as we go for the last, it's, it's been going on for longer than the last few years. This has probably been going on 2019, 2018. I've kind of been, you know, we've, we've referred to this normal, right? And all this fun stuff. But as, as you know, as you change and develop as a person, the, the center is where I'm headed. Isn't in the center anymore because if it was, you wouldn't be the changing person. But I haven't necessarily come back to understand where I'm at. You know, what I'm saying like everything has changed, and that, so everything's changed and everything's different. I'm not. I'm sure it's continuing to change and evolve. But at some point, you kind of want to. Uh, how do I say this nicely? Stop and smell the roses. <laughs> I can take a breath and feel. Because if you're changing all the time, you're not assessing what's working and what isn't working. It's just kind of. Well, it's water, right? It's too fluid. So is your question, how do we find that place to stop and be like, okay, like yeah. I'm not striving for this. I'm not escaping this. I'm just right here. Yeah, that, that that way to be still for a little bit and understand because, yeah, like, you know, like with the water, if you're, if you're constantly moving, if you, don't, if you don't look up to know where you're going, you're just, well, back out at sea. Absolutely. So the best way that I can describe it is don't wait until things get better. Don't wait until the smoke clears to find an ounce of peace, an ounce of stillness. Even if things are hard, we can tap into our five senses and depending on your belief systems, all the other senses, but we can tap into the things that we can we can see, touch, smell, taste, hear, and, and be in that moment, even when it's hard. And, it, and we can generate ideas about that very moment. And so this can happen when um, we were talking about ages of kids and that you're in the fun age. So when a teenager is yelling and screaming and having a tantrum, the beautiful thing is we don't have to react to anyone else's emotional dysregulation. What we can do is we can be thankful that we have the power to control our body language, to control our tone of voice, to hear ourselves breathe rather than whatever tantrum is going on around us. Um, we can zone in on things. I usually wear like a really soft fabric shirt or pants just because I really like to just, when I set my hand down, be like, oh, that's nice. And it like re-centers me from all the chaos of the day being like, oh, that's nice and soft. Of course, I have sort of that ADD squirrel brain. I'm like, oh, pretty. <laughs> but with that, it doesn't matter when the new normal comes, when the smoke clears, when things get better. We have the power to tap into our senses when we drink a glass of water, when we're like, man, I'm thirsty. And usually we drink a glass of water and then we move on with our life. Well, what if we actually were present in that moment and we felt the water touch our tongue? We felt it go down our throat. We took a deep breath afterwards and was like, okay, now I can go. And we started choosing, even though we were going to do the same exact actions, just knowing I choose to put my toothbrush on this side and brush my teeth on this side first versus that side, that could be really empowering because when is the last time you thought about brushing your teeth on the other side of your mouth first? We don't just alternate sides. 
we do things so habitually that if we begin to say, I'm choosing to brush my teeth, I'm choosing to avoid further dental decay, and then I'm choosing to start on this side and go to this side and use mouthwash or not and floss or not, and then go about whatever else routine. When we begin to implement attention to the present, our senses, and our ability to choose our words, our actions, our thoughts, there are doors that open we didn't even know were surrounding us. Oh, you're good. I like that. So, <laughs> so as you've been out there doing all of this for a while, what, what's the biggest, I don't want to say issue, that you're stumbling, stumbling across, but I don't know how else to say it. Um, is it relationship problems, depression, as a general overall kind of thing? I mean, obviously, everybody, all the they're all ebbs and flows and they're probably all connected on some level, but like where, where are we at mental health wise where, where, with people you're working with? Overall, I would say the most common overlap is this discomfort with feeling out of control that, which then stems anxiety, which can stem depression, which can resurface traumas. But the overall is that feeling of out of control, the, the the illusion of being in control, that guise has been raised. And we're looking around being like, wait, I was never in control in the first place, which means I'm really not in control now. And now I have no idea what's going to happen next. And we just start to spiral. And and just like you you asked before is, okay, so how do we stop that spiral? Like, how do we stop the movement? and zone back in. And, and that's really the power is, I mean, you can see mindfulness trending all over, but the reality is, is it's really just tapping in and becoming more self-aware of this power of choice, this power of presence, this ability to engage in our world on purpose day to day, rather than being swept up in it and realizing hours or days or weeks have gone by and we still didn't get to the things that were most important to us. Yeah, I, I find that too, trying to make time to make time just to be still. I mean, it, it sounds so naive or not, not naive, but trivial, right? You have, well, just have to make time, right? Yeah, but you're schedule, you know, you schedule everybody else in the world. Gotta schedule some time for yourself once in a while. And that points to the second most popular thing is many of us, no matter how confident we present, have a significant deficit when it comes to looking at ourselves as a valuable addition to the space we're in. So, again, this idea of imposter syndrome, this this whole that we want to be seen, we want to be heard. I mean, why don't, why else do we build platforms? Like, yes, we want to impact others, but there's this desire that says like, I'm contributing to this world. I need to know that somewhere, somehow I belong here and I have a purpose and that I matter to someone, anyone in a significant way. And what happens is we fill our time with all of these things that we think will add worth to our life when the most powerful is that moment when we slow down and say, I'm allowed to sit and breathe in fresh air for 45 seconds and listen to these birds. I'm allowed to stop my back-to-back meetings and go to the bathroom. (laughs) Like (laughs) I'm allowed to not answer my phone and my texts and my messages and play with my kids. Like this is absolutely the value that I add because I'm no less worthy than anyone else who's drawing those healthy boundaries. And so between the feeling out of control and that exacerbating anxiety and depression, there's a secondary driver that says, what am I really here for? And do I really add value? And is this going to matter? And, and that's really where 
that faith bias comes in is it might matter now, but will it matter for eternity? And how does that even factor into our day-to-day interactions with other humans and the things that we do? And it gets really exciting when you're looking at a measurement, not just in the 50 or 60 years or however long you end up in a working type of role, but man, if this could just be generationally going down and eternally adding to, to this bigger plan, it's a crazy idea. (laughs) Yeah. That kind of does get you. I mean, I've had those thoughts about my, my, the show, right? Like, I mean, been doing it for almost 11 years now. And then you go, so what has it really done, right? You talk to a bunch of people. I mean, I've got this cool wooden sign I made myself over here. I mean, but at the end of the day, what's, the, you know, I mean, I've got a bunch of digital files and a cool wooden sign, right? I've got some other stuff that has become because of it, but those are the things that will last longer than, what? Well, hopefully last longer, the, the outside stuff that's happened. Then, in, well, hopefully all the digital files will be around for a while. But anyways, <laughs> one bad one bad virus attack away from them all being gone. But Oh, yes. <laughs> it's just... The whole uh, world goes, what? Why did the mountains <laughs> go, ah, nah. no. <laughs> but it's I got to be the person I am without all the filters and the silly <laughs> shadow background remover, all the other things. Like, yeah, you got to be a real person. Yeah, I, I have to laugh because, uh, well, that's funny. I probably shouldn't say this. Um, I was talking to a podcaster, and he's like, I'll call you in five minutes. I'm like, okay. And he had to turn his mixer on and all this stuff, so he said it would sound like he was sounding on his show, right? Yeah. And so somewhere across the line, I, I just called him on his cell phone. He, you know, he, pick, he picks up the phone and says, hi. I'm like, is that what you really sound like? I was always wondering. <laughs> like, That's fantastic. I'm like, yeah, like, dude calm down it's okay it's okay to be you no i gotta be booming and you know i'm like like anybody cares like (laughs) and i put that in my show notes or my show agreement when i reach out to guests i'm like look i'm not doing heavy editing i want this to be authentic stories of the struggle i want this to be a conversation where we get real about things that actual people are feeling this isn't like the highlight reel of all your accomplishments and the projects you're working on. This is about real life journeys and someone's going to hear this and resonate with a small piece of it and say, Oh my goodness, I never thought of it like that. Or I could do that. This, this could change everything. And now that's cool. Yeah. I've only edited one show and I've done 560 and I took out one word. Because I had a live caller who came called in and used a, a slur, so oh, I, I edited it out. And that was it. That's the only edit. So <laughs> that's pretty awesome to be able to have that many guests add value in over five hundred shows. Like, congratulations! <sighs> Thank you. I don't know. It's it's still it, well. It's you know like we were talking a little bit before. It's week to week to week, and then you look and go, holy smokes! It's been almost eleven years of week. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, stopping in that moment and just stopping for a minute and going, wow, that's quite an accomplishment. And have you ever had a show that sounded just like another one? No. Even with the same person on. See? (laughs) So, So this idea of anyone chasing after to be like someone, just wrapping this around full circle is we're not in a race against one another. We're in a serious mission-minded journey to explore ourselves and make the most impact for the greater good for this world and beyond. And it's not about anybody else other than loving them where they are, learning from what they've learned before us. And I was telling one of my people on Twitter the other day, I'd rather have 5,000 views the rest of my life than spike a million somewhere on the line. Yeah. Even if I quit the show tomorrow, fine. I'm, I'd be content with all of that, right? I don't need that big viral moment. It's all about the process and meeting fun people like you and so many other people that that one big viral spike isn't going to do me any favors. Because then, this back to that competition with myself thing, I had a million last week. I need 1.1 this week. And then it comes back to 5,000. I'd be crushed. 
<laughs> it was like, what did I do wrong? And it's like, no, that was the moment. That was the thing that was meant to impact that many and reach that many. And for whatever reason, it goes back to, hey, this is this is who you're going to reach and this is how it's going to change things. And you know what? Yes, when we look at a person impacting a million, are they really impacting a million? Or did they touch a million people for half a second and then it was gone? Where you have a life-changing conversation or one of those, those brain shifts that change the trajectory of hopeless to hopeful, whoo, that is more powerful than any million view. Yeah. Anytime. Remember, I got a story for you, but I don't want to share it on here because I'm not allowed to. I'll share it with you as soon as the show is over. I know that's a great teaser for everybody listening to the show, and they're like, well, what is he going to talk about? Sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> it's probably been enough time that I could talk about it, but I was told not to, so I'm just going to honor that request. But anyway, That's fair. So, <laughs> so, okay, so you've kind of been dogging Western Pennsylvania. Are you happy now in Western Pennsylvania? I am happy with the purpose I have here. I don't think I have an emotional connection to any location. I have a significant detestation with cold. (laughs) When I step outside and my body screams in pain because it's cold rain or snow, it's like all the sweet friendly, encouraging, leaves my body, and I feel rage. <laughs> and so so it's not Western Pennsylvania. It's my body's response to cold that takes away my joy, and I have to, like, get present and be thankful and, like, cultivate that stillness and gratitude in that moment. Otherwise, I will just fester in rage at the cold all the day long. <laughs> I can understand it. And as I tell people, if it snowed in July when it was hot and you could shovel in your shorts, game changer. I'd love it. Yeah, it would be so much fun. It was like, man, this is such a unique experience. Let's do it. Yeah, like go out and have a snowball fight in your shorts. Yeah, it would be all about that instead of yep. freezing, freezing to death. But anyways, big big dreams there. So as we start, oh, boy, look at the time. I, I, I was like, I'm like, oh, we got to put, oh, seven minutes left. Uh-oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> so where do you? As you're, as you're growing, where, where are your next steps? What are you up to? What's the future holding in the, the next few weeks, months, years, whatever? So I am finishing up the initial draft of my solo project I mentioned, Rise from the Wreckage. It's essentially a guidebook to walk folks through the therapy process. The most common questions I get because people trust me in my network is, Crystal, I think I need to see someone. Do you know anybody? Or my therapist did this. What do you think? Or I don't even know if I need to go back or what is this like? And because I I have a very small clinical load, I don't want to stay in clinical life forever. I am much more a coach, a small group, as we talked about, that, that intimate, short-term, let's get you what you need and move you along the way and lock arms with other people. I love that small group environment to those growth-minded leaders who are ready to just take their baggage off, get what they need to know, and move forward. But the book itself is helping those folks who are trying to figure out how to navigate the therapy process, because let's be real, we all have a season where we need a therapist, and we don't know how to call the insurance and where the best place is. And every time I go, I feel emotionally exhausted, and then I'm short with my family, So I walk you through the before steps, all the questions of what do you need to think about? What time of day? What day of the week? What might you want to ask when you call your insurance? Those kind of things. Then we talk about what if you like or you don't like your therapist because not all therapists are created equal. How do you make the best use of your time, energy, and resources during a season of therapy? What are ways you can be working alongside therapy to move through the process of healing so that you can then get to that stage of, you know what? I think I'm ready to move on. Let's do that self-check. How can you keep the momentum going? And it's a very interactive book where you're answering questions, you're doing reflections, you're hearing stories. I want you to scribble in this book. 
And so I'm working on that. Oh, for the love of everything, I want this off to the editors during the summer and to leave me alone while they tear it apart and send it back to me. (laughs) Um, The podcast is ongoing. I think I'm recorded and scheduled out. After this week, it'll be into June. So I'll get to enjoy some sunshine as it starts to come out. And then I'd like to launch another small group program with just a very small six to 10 person cohort and walks, walk those folks through when the weather's nice, when everyone's in good spirits, motivated, and they're willing to say, you know what, family, I'm going to take some me time, an hour, a couple of times a month and, and get some really deep digging for when the fall kicks off. So those are my three main focuses. And then of course, I love conferences. I love those speaking engagements, but those are fun bonuses that I don't want to rule out because random calls that say, Hey, let's have a conversation. I'm like, (laughs) all right, let's roll. Random, random messages that say, Hey, let's have a conversation. Always work out. Well, no, (laughs) exactly. It's like, you know what? I'm down. I like, we'll see where it goes. So I love, I love opportunities like this where we get to play off of each other and know that someone out there listening has been going through a journey and they're not really sure, is there a way out? Like, is there another end to this smoke cloud I find myself in? Is there answers to these questions that have been running through my head? Like, are there outs to this anxiety and depression or terrible relationships? And how do I get out of it healthy? Yes, yes, yes. You have learned something in those journeys. It, it's time to connect with someone who knows what they're doing. It is. Hey, First, okay, so gotta ask this question since you're down there. What, where should I go to eat? Where's your? Oh, where should you go to eat? Yeah, <laughs> I'm always looking for a good place to eat. Okay, so after a missions trip in 2009, we ate some amazing Mexican food and came back and was like, "How are we going to find food that tastes like that in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania?" And so there's a couple um, there's a couple restaurants in the area called Patrons, and I always get this dish pollo amigo, and essentially it's like grilled chicken, rice, and then queso drizzled all over it. And seriously, anything drizzled with queso <laughs> is probably a good choice. Oh, so you have my attention right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, like that's my go-to. So even if you don't like Mexican food. It's drizzled in queso. Let's get serious. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on now. Any anything anything with cheese on top or more cheese. Anyways. Yes. Uh, and and for John Return Runner, who's making his return to the duck pond tonight, my my chat room, I, ha- I have to ask you this question because we've got about a minute left. This is this is a serious question now. You buckled up and ready for this one. This is the hardest question of all night. Favorite breakfast. Uh, I can't even answer that but my son asks for pancakes every day and he will eat like half a box of pancakes every time I make them and they give me a stomach ache but they remind me of growing up as a kid and my dad would make me pancakes so even though they hurt me they bring him joy and they're nostalgic so if I have to eat breakfast I'm gonna go for it because it's family friendly that's the key, right? Making everybody happy. Yes. <laughs> well, Crystal, I, 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 seriously, thank you for jumping on and having a great conversation tonight and um, saving my bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It is an honor to serve, an honor to have this conversation. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in and just cheering Jim on in this amazing adventure that he's been called to do. Thank you. And, uh, like I said, hang out with me for, well, we'll be going out here in 20 seconds, and then I have 20, 30 seconds of outro music, and then i got to tell, tell you the story before you, you go to bed, because you got to hear this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, everybody, before I forget, go over, subscribe, brief stars, all that fun stuff. You you guys have listened to podcasts before. You know how to do that. Um, talk to you on social media. Catch up with you next week, and everybody, stay safe. It's the Mallard Report. Yeah, the Mallard I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. 
I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.